Lumos. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Harry Podcast, the show where we analyze and discuss each chapter of the Harry Potter series from a literary perspective. I'm David. And I'm Madeline, and today's episode is called Harry Podcast and the Unforgivable Curses. Today we will be discussing Moody slash Barty Crouch Jr.'s motivations in this lesson, Neville's character, and how this chapter ushers in a new era of darkness in the series. The trio notices that Snape seems scared of Moody, which only makes them more excited for their first lesson with him in Defense Against the Dark Arts. They get to the lesson early, and Moody opens the lesson by telling them to put away their books, and says that their class, as a whole, is very behind on learning about curses. He also lets it slip that he's only staying at Hogwarts for one year. Moody then begins to teach them the most dangerous and illegal curses in the wizarding world, known as the Unforgivable Curses. He then demonstrates using spiders as props, the Imperious Curse, which gives you total control over another person, and the Cruciatus Curse, which tortures somebody, um, which very much upsets Neville. Finally, Moody demonstrates Avada Kedavra, the Killing Curse, on the last spider, and Moody calls Harry out as the only known person to have ever survived the curse. Harry reflects for a moment on how his parents must have died from that curse after watching this demonstration. After the lesson, the trio sees that Neville seems really out of it and not doing that well, and they try to talk to him, but they're interrupted by Moody, who then invites Neville to his office for tea. After dinner, they see Neville again, who shows them an herbology book that Moody lent him and seems very calm and cheered up. Harry and Ron begin their divination astrology homework in the common room and eventually decide to make it up, writing down dramatic predictions for themselves. Fred and George are also there, whispering and writing quietly together. Hermione finally appears from the library, showing the pair of them a box of badges. Each one is labeled with the letters SPEW, which she says stands for the Society for the Promotion of Elfish Welfare. She explains her new movement, its aims, and asks them to be its first members. Hedwig suddenly taps at the window of the common room. She's arrived with a response from Sirius, saying that Sirius is coming back north because he's worried about the signs, including Harry's scar hurting. This completely infuriates Harry, who feels like it's going to be his fault that Sirius gets recaptured and resolves to do something about it. So going right off of what we were discussing in the last chapter about Barty Crouch Jr. and, you know, what his actual motivations are and what his life might have been. What his sort of personality, like the real personality of him. I think there's something maybe sad that Barty Crouch Jr. may have actually been a really good teacher because he is here. I mean, and, Mm -hmm. you know, what, whatever his like actual motivations are, he is doing a great job in it, even though it's a... Yeah, in kind of a perverse way. Perverse way, yeah. It's like, this is very traumatizing for many people. Um, But he's very engaging. (laughs) He he is very effective. We've talked about before how Barty Crouch Jr.'s portrayal of Moody is very hammy. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that continues to be the case here. Um, But if it's really true that Dumbledore said, I want them to learn about Unforgivable Curses this year which I'm skeptical of, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, but if that's really true, then I think he did a great job. I just don't really believe that Dumbledore would have said that. <laughs> Moody claims that Dumbledore said right. that. Right. But... Well, that's interesting because I 
I always assumed that Dumbledore did because I would assume that it would have gotten back to him. Maybe, but maybe not. I mean, it's not like Dumbledore, he seems omnipotent or he seems omniscient rather, but like he doesn't always know about what's going on with his teachers. And Moody could very easily have just said like, yeah, Dumbledore wants you guys to know about this stuff. And then he's so captivating about it that no one would think to go complain to Dumbledore about that. You know what I mean? Because it's such an engaging lesson. And, like, we'll talk about it in a minute, but what he does with Neville, somebody who... Might have might have been a problem. You know? Yeah, is, you know... He goes and heads that off. him away uh, from that. But the... What I think probably did happen is that Dumbledore did ask Moody, because seeing Moody and trusting Moody as an aura, saying, like, the, you know, the kids need to know about these things because, like, the world is dangerous and you should probably teach them about them, but probably more, like, in a lecture way, not in a demonstration Uh way. Uh That's sort of what I imagine, is that he did say, like, I want you to tell them what they are so that they don't have no knowledge of them. Right, because Moody's point is a really good one. Like, you can't fight against something if you don't know what it is. And, like, he says that in response to Hermione, like, Hermione's saying, like, these are illegal, you can't, like, just, like, you know, do them um in front of us like Moody's like well if you'd rather um just like go out into the world and like the first time you uh see one of these curses is when someone's trying to put it on Mm -hmm. you then like good luck you know and he has a point but it's also really like a very strange way of teaching um and and we'll see that in in a later chapter that he even starts putting the curse on people to show them what it feels like um, it's extremely memorable as a reader. This scene is like very visceral and and uh, powerful, but it also is a communication that the world of Harry Potter is getting much darker than it used to be. Um, and what I mean by that is like in the first book, magic is this like whimsical thing that you can use to kind of do different mm-hmm. stuff. The classic example of that is when Guardian Leviosa mm-hmm. literally makes things light enough that you can float them up into the air. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that's very cute and whimsical and, right. and very like high fantasy. But what we're seeing now is that there is a gritty dark side to magic that you can use it to control people without any ability to inhibit their actions from them. Like you lose all agency You can use it to torture people into submission by inflicting more pain than they could possibly deal with. You can use it to kill people instantly, and there's no blocking that curse. There's no defense. Right. It just kills you instantly. So it's it's, scary. It's it's scary, and it's showing us a new side. And it's also showing, I mean, like, the series is getting darker, but what it's actually doing is revealing, like, this has been there the whole time. It's not that the world is getting darker. It's like, it's really like growing up and like, oh, the kids are learning about these things because yeah. it's like, this has always been here, of course, and now you're seeing it and you also see some of the trauma that is within some of these kids and the fact that some of them know about them yeah. or think that they know about them. And yeah, I, yeah, for yeah. sure. It's, it's a hard chapter to look back on now that we kind of know what happens and what has happened. Um but it's nonetheless powerful, and I think it's very, very well written. Um, it's just it's just very – I think this is a big turning point. We've said that word a lot, turning point. Yeah. But um, 
you know, if the dark mark was the introduction of racism as like a really main motivator for violence in the series, this is um, a turning point in the sense that we now understand as a reader the stakes of dark magic. Right. And what it can do and what are the tools that Voldemort and his Death Eaters are going to be using. This is, this is what we're up against. And Moody says as much. Mm-hmm. You know, he says this is what you're up against to, to the students, but also to the reader, you know. Like, this is the spells that Harry is going to be facing. Uh, an unblockable killing curse, you know, unbelievable pain, torture. He experiences all three of these in the scene in the graveyard at the end of this book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's true. And his ability to resist or fight them off is directly related to Voldemort's servant, Barty Crouch Jr., teaching him skills to cope with each of them. So let's like just dive right into that for a second then. Like, what are his motivations in regards to teaching things in this way, specifically for Harry? Because we don't, you know, in theory, he doesn't want Harry to yeah. be able to defend himself <laughs> against these things. Well, maybe he just doesn't believe that there's any problem um with that because like the killing curse is unblockable so you know if Voldemort wants to kill you you're just dead and there's nothing you can do about it um the fact that harry survived it once seems to be an anomaly to most people and mm-hmm. we'll eventually learn why that happened but um no one really understands it but also no one would ever predict that he could do it twice but then why even do this like what is what is his motivation in this moment Besides, is it just, is it separate from Harry in this moment? Is it just, like, I kind of want to be a ham and cause drama and also, like, scare these kids? Does he actually have motivation? Does he want it to be a fair fight? Like, does he want them to be able to... I don't know. There's an interesting idea in there, and we've seen Moody deal with cowardly attackers last chapter. Maybe he believes really strongly in, like, fair contests of magic and, like, fair duels. Um... I don't know that there's a lot of evidence for that, but uh, certainly one piece of evidence would suggest that. The other option is that, you know, maybe you're right, and Dumbledore did instruct him to to show them these spells, and he's just doing as instructed, but in his own kind of hammy way. And he's also, remember, trying to put on the best moody performance he can. Yes, true. So he needs to make it really believable that he is is moody. Um, And also he wants Harry to trust him, because Mm -hmm. that's an integral part of his overall plot his overall scheme he needs harry to trust him otherwise it won't work so kind of taking care of two birds with one stone he can kind of ham it up and be moody in the scene but also kind of be respectful or even reverent towards harry in the way that he like teaches him um saying like you know you threw off the imperious curse when we get to that Mm -hmm. um it's like you're strong mentally like you can do this right you can fight um and that kind of builds rapport so I feel like um, he didn't intend for Harry to beat Voldemort in that contest course, in the graveyard, yeah. but like, I don't think he would have even imagined that that was possible. No. He's just kind of trying to make Harry like him. Yeah, I think you're right. And, and you know, another thing that's interesting about this and like him as a teacher is that um, this constant vigilance of, like, oh, yeah. which is what he says. Practically his motto. It's his motto. And I, I believe in a lot of ways that that is... That is Moody's motto as a, actually, Mad-Eye Moody as a person, mm-hmm. and Barty Crouch Jr.'s motto. And I think that they both, both of those characters that are kind of combined into one in this moment, have 
trauma in that way yeah. that makes them because constant vigilance is a trauma response i mean it is <laughs> yeah, like it totally being is. being constantly on alert and being hyper vigilant about everything around you and i think harry and others do take this on because they all everyone you know in this age group ends up having to be in this world where they do need to be constantly vigilant and fight and yeah. especially harry and i think that's that is one of the things that you know, for better and worse, is, like, what they take from this lesson from Moody. And the, the whole year of his teaching. Um, right. And and what's funny is that Moody is probably the most effective Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher that they have. Lupin was great. You know, he was really supportive. He taught them a lot about magical creatures, which was cool. But in terms of giving them tools Practical, for how to yeah. combat dark magic and, and face the challenges that they're going to face in the upcoming war... Um, you know, they they learned everything they know from a Death Eater, essentially. Yeah, um, which and just is really funny. On that point, for a second, like we, you know, Moody does let it slip that he's only staying for one year. Yeah, and you know, we know why that is, and that's suspicious, obviously, in hindsight. But he says, you know, special favor to Dumbledore, and that's very believable in this moment. Oh yeah, they're like best friends. Yeah, so this seems like okay, like you know. One year, that's kind of the joke that, like, they only stay for one year and it could seem suspicious because usually something secretive is going on with with the Defense Against the Dark Arts teachers, but Mm -hmm. it's also just very believable so that we don't question it at all after that moment. Yeah. Um, But um, getting back for a second, mm you had mentioned, you know, trauma response. I think the constant vigilance thing... um, he says it right after discussing the Imperius curse. Mm-hmm. He's like, you don't want to be in a situation where anyone has the ability to use it on you. Um, and then he's, he just kind of barks out constant vigilance. I think it is a trauma response from not only like Mad-Eye Moody and his performance of Moody, but like him personally yes. is a person who was abused by the Imperius curse for a lot of his adult life. Um, and he knows firsthand just how much control it gives a person over you. Um, and how hard it is to throw it off. And he has thrown it off. So, you know, he knows what that's like, too. But, um, yeah, definitely a really interesting thing to, to discuss here is, like, what's Moody and what's his own mm-hmm. trauma. But speaking of trauma, let's talk about Neville. Yeah. Um, Ugh, such a sad This is a really thing. sad scene. So let's just kind of, like, you know, flesh out what's really going on here. So. Yeah. Neville is very upset when the Cruciatus Curse is demonstrated. Um, And we, you know, as readers and what we know about Neville, just at face value, is like, Neville is kind of a sensitive boy. and He was raised by his grandma. He was raised by his grandma. And he is also freaked out by a lot of magic things, especially things that he feels like are too hard for him to, to do or handle. Yeah. So, okay, maybe it's normal that Neville's freaked out about this, but we know that it's deeper than that. So what is actually going on with Neville in this moment? Well, we will learn. Um, I believe in the next book, mm-hmm. but possibly in this book, is um, is that Neville's... Oh, no, we, we do learn it in this book. Um, we can infer it, I think, from the, from the pensive scene, um, is that... Neville's parents were tortured into insanity by a group of Death Eaters who thought that they held somehow held the key to Voldemort's whereabouts or um, why he was defeated by Harry Potter, basically. 
Um, because, and we'll learn eventually that this has to do with the prophecy and um, the fact that Neville was the alternate subject of the prophecy. Mm-hmm. Um, so they thought that they could torture Neville's parents into giving them information about how the prophecy worked or where Voldemort could be now. Um, and that Barty Crouch Jr. was allegedly one of the people that did that, although he maintained his innocence um, at trial and afterwards, um, and he never admitted to actually participating in it. Um, he certainly was there with the, um, I think it was, uh, the Lestranges, mm-hmm. um, when they did it. Um, so, you know, Neville's response to this demonstration of the Cruciatus curse, he probably has been told by his grandmother or, or by other people, like, this is, this is why your parents are insane. Um, and like, this is what they sacrificed for you, mm-hmm. um, to protect you, um, and in a way, you know, we can get into this later chapters, but it does parallel Harry's parents' sacrifice mm-hmm. and and the protection that it gave Harry. Um, it's just it's a different it's a different form of of protection. Um, but yeah, so getting back to this scene, it's very it's a very difficult scene to read because we can see Neville having like a, a trauma response, um, almost like a PTSD kind of thing, um, and we don't know how much of this is like him remembering when he was one year old and, mm-hmm. and like, does he know anything? Like, does he remember? Um, does he have like buried memories of his mm-hmm. parents torture? Um, or how much of it is just being told about it? Yeah. Um, but regardless, the, the response from Moody Barty Crouch Jr. Is to be kind and to sort of almost take care of Neville in a way. Uh, he takes him to his office. They have tea. he, gives him a book on um, magical water plants of the Mediterranean and and says like, Hey, professor Sprout told me that you're really good at herbology. Maybe you'd like this book that I have. Um, And partially that has its own motivation of wanting to introduce Neville to the idea of gillyweed Mm -hmm. so that he can tell Harry about it Mm -hmm. later on. But I think also he might actually feel some remorse for Neville's situation and for, his own role, whatever it was in what happened to Neville's parents, um, because he does seem to be particularly sensitive in this moment. Right. What, what's your take? It's on complicated it? because I think, you know, again, this is like what we're seeing with everything with Barty Crouch Jr., which is like why, you know, what's him and what's, moody? what's him, what's moody, what's the performance. And he may not even fully know himself, but yeah. he's so involved kind of in this character and also in like just furthering his mission here and getting Neville to, first of all, not be scared of him. Second of all, like getting him the book is part of his motivation. So it's a little like grooming, grooming behavior that I would say, sure, of, like, yeah. you know, trying to like, like, don't be scared. This is all fine and normal and I'm going to help you out. I mean... I also always imagine, though, that during this meeting where they have tea, that Moody says to him, I know why that was upsetting. I know what happened to your parents, and I'm sorry. Like, I do imagine that that is what happened. Yeah, I I would think so, too. Or maybe if it's even left unsaid, he's just kind of like, I understand. Yes, like, you know, I understand I that it. that was hard, yeah. Yeah, and, and, I'm, and I'm sorry you had to see that. Yeah, and, like, I only did that because... I want to show you, like, I want to help you, and, you know. And maybe he even said something like, you know, your parents were incredibly brave, and, like, they did that for you. Yeah. Um, And 
you know, they were great people. Yeah, so it's it's all it's like a little. We don't really know. It's all yeah. yeah that's what I imagine, and it's yeah. It's kind of creepy and upsetting in some ways, and it's also <laughs> it is a little bit. And it's also in some ways like nice, and it does help. It does help Neville get through this year, and it it is a part of his whole character arc. I think in him building confidence and you know building his own character, even even despite what happens later. Yeah. Um. So it is it is pretty complicated, but I think this is like the start of like also Neville as a character that we need to be tracking more and his development throughout. What's wonderful about Neville too is even though this has this thing has affected his entire life, at no point does he ever want revenge as like mm-hmm. a solution. Um there's never a time when he's like confronted with bellatrix lestrange or other people like that and he's like i'm gonna kill you Mm -hmm. you know like he wants to help his friends and like save the wizarding world but he never has been like motivated by outright seeking revenge and i think that makes him different from harry yeah Um, he's like the foil for harry in a lot of ways and yeah yeah he he's very like harry has neville is a good person whereas harry might be described as great in some ways Mm, yeah i guess i guess i don't know i i think that harry harry has his pride and ego and i just mean in terms of what he achieves yeah in terms of what he achieves sure but i think that it's it's pretty interesting to think about them exactly as like the prophecy like it could have been either of them and you know the kind of fame and connection and then tide of Voldemort that harry has makes him feel like he has to get revenge in this way where mm-hmm. Neville is gets to be kind of out of the spotlight and but nonetheless important right um he Harry tells Neville about you know you need to kill the snake right right at the end so anyway um Neville is a great character and certainly is coming into his own a little more in this book definitely a lot more in next book um so let's keep on tracking him and how he's a foil for harry um transitioning over to hermione and her big role in this book with um elf right crusading Mm -hmm. what's your take on that just right now in this chapter we're just introduced to the idea yeah so so clearly we know like okay hermione has been going to the library to research (laughs) you know a bunch of things to help her create this organization um spew um which (laughs) we should just call it spew we should just call it spew um and i think you know in this moment hermione is really doing what she thinks is best and she's really like this is i am trying to kind of like community organize in this moment and get gather uh information about what's happening with the house elves and trying to gather support for the cause and she is awareness campaigning awareness campaigning and she's like there are house elves in hogwarts did you know you know right under our noses kind of thing um Mm -hmm. and i think yeah there's we can kind of just leave it at that there's there's a lot of issues that (laughs) yeah but i think we should talk more about the issues going forward yeah because this one's really just an introduction and it's an explanation of what's what's Hermione been up to. Right. And um, just kind of her attitude about it is like, 
oh, of course Harry and Ron will join because they're my best friends. Yes. And of course they're going to be as excited about it as I am. And right now she's just seeing the And And the their responses are, are Ron being like, you're being crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, sorry, Hermione, but you got this one wrong. And Harry is just like, I don't want to have to deal with this. Yeah. <laughs> Harry's like, I have enough problems, Hermione, yeah. don't put this on me. Um, but they go along with it, even, even in spite of that, because of their friendship with Hermione right. and because they love her, um, which is nice. Um, but what's nice for Harry and Ron is that they get interrupted by Hedwig arriving. It's true. So they don't have to talk anymore about Spew that evening because um, they have a convenient distraction. So, so Sirius sends his reply. He says, I'm heading north immediately. The news about your scar hurting was the latest in a series of strange rumors that have reached mm-hmm. me down here. So basically, like, reading between the lines, Sirius is saying, like, things are weird. Mm-hmm. Even me being in hiding, I'm still hearing about strange things going on. Yep. And I think... I need to come back. I need to come back to the country because um, it sounds like, you know, if Dumbledore's got Moody out of retirement, he's reading the signs even if no one else is. That to me says, like, Sirius is seeing the dark side rising. Mm-hmm. As well, you know, um, between what happened at the Quidditch World Cup and the attack on Mad Eye Moody, etc., um, Sirius is now on high alert. He's like, "Right, something about this is wrong. I feel like Voldemort's going to make a play." Yeah, and I want to be in the country when that happens. I need to protect Harry. Um, so he's heading north immediately. Harry's reaction to this, I think, is extremely telling, mm-hmm. and it's. I mean, you wrote it right here. The epitome of his constant thinking mm-hmm. that his own personal problems are putting other people in danger, mm-hmm. which in turn makes him not want to share what's going on with him. And I think that's so true. Harry is more and more reluctant as the series goes on to share his problems with other people. And it really leads to some emotional trauma and and difficulties for him because he ends up just like bottling up his emotions and his mm-hmm. problems and then just kind of like shouting them at people whenever he feels like he can't keep it in anymore, which is not a, an emotionally healthy way to react. Um, but the fact that he feels like people are putting themselves in danger because of him is not something that Harry can deal with. The fact no. that he lost his parents because they did exactly that. Um, and then, you know, as he goes through life, he continues to lose guardians. Um, Sirius next book, Dumbledore, the following book. Mm-hmm. Um, he just he's he gets to a point where he's like, I will not let anybody put themselves between me and danger anymore. I'm going to I'm going to face it head on and I don't want anyone else to get in the way because they're just going to die because I've lost right. so many people from my life. And it's it's in some ways totally understandable and also totally infuriating because yes, he keeps he's doing this in this way where he's like absolutely refusing help at all times when he needs help and there's also so many people around him that are like we are going to help no matter what and that does happen you know in the seventh book like a lot there's Mm -hmm. a lot of things that go on but this this particular moment is bad for this because he is feeling so anxious about Sirius being caught and so convinced of it that he will now push down any doubts any pains any things he's experiencing Mm -hmm. um and ends up like you know putting himself into the tournament in a dangerous way because he feels like he just needs to keep going and face things on his own. Yeah. And that's not to say that he never accepts help, but he just, he doesn't want 
to place his problems on anybody else. Yeah, he wants, you know, everything, like, the buck to stop with him eventually. Yeah. Which it He needs does, to shoulder but... the world, you mm-hmm. know, and, and you know, he, he can't because he's 14. But um, we're going to see uh, in his immediate response to this situation next chapter, at the beginning of next chapter, um, and how that says a lot about how he's going to try to control his problems and the people they affect from now on um, with extremely mixed results, as we're going to see. Thank you all for listening to the Harry Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion of this chapter. If you have thoughts or questions about anything we've discussed today, especially the intersection of Moody and Barty Crouch Jr.'s characters, please email us at contact at theharrypodcast.com. You can find out more about the show and listen to any of our episodes at theharrypodcast.com or on Apple Podcasts. Stay tuned for next time when we meet new friends in Bobatons and Durmstrang. I'm Madeline. And I'm David, and we'll see you next time on The Harry Podcast. Knox.